when we think about prayer, and in a minute we're going to read this passage out of Ephesians chapter 1, what, what thoughts come to mind just kind of in general? You know, when you think about prayer or what our culture says about prayer, thinks about prayer. What's your next door neighbor, your boss, your employee, the, the, you know, the student that sits in the desk in front of you or behind you? What do you think that folks generally think about prayer? I gave that some thought this week and came up with a few things that I think are probably pretty common and probably something that you all have maybe thought about from time to time. The first is this notion uh, that there are no atheists in foxholes. Now, that can be debated, but the, the, the point is when things really get bad, it's not just you have to be in a war, but when things really get awful and you've done everything you can possibly do and, and there are no alternatives left and you're really, you know, you've been painted into a corner and you're really in a tight spot, now is the time to pray. That's a pretty common thought. The people say, you know, I've tried everything. I guess I'll ask God and see how that option may go. The second thing that I think is pretty common to our, our culture is this notion of, you know, the, the, the time's up, we're, we're down to the last minute, nothing else has worked. Uh, a little bit different than the atheist in the foxhole, but this is a picture of, of uh, quarterback Doug Flutie, 1984, playing for Boston College. You can see how much time is on the clock. Uh, so this is the last play of the game, and he's getting ready to throw a Hail Mary. Hail Mary. Very good. Now, this is not a conversation about praying to Mary, not praying to Mary. We're not going down that road this morning. This is simply, you know, you look at it as he's throwing up a hope and a prayer. And I actually listened to the call of this this week. I, I'd forgotten about this. Uh, Brent Musburger is the guy who makes the call. And when the play is, the ball snapped and Flutie's kind of running around for a couple seconds, Musburger really isn't saying anything. He's just kind of watching the play develop. He says, so he heaves it downfield. And then when the guy catches the ball in the end zone, it's like you have to put your hands over your ears because he just started yelling. You know, unbelievable catch, unbelievable in the place, you know, erupts and goes crazy. But we think again, you know, we've tried everything else, maybe it may be a Hail Mary. The other thought that I think folks have is, you know, if, if I put my time in praying and I do my part, then God owes me. He needs to do his part. So I got a little cartoon here. I don't know if you can read what the guy is saying. It might be a little bit too small. If you give me a bite of your calamari, uh, how about I give you a bite of, one of, my, of my calamari for one of your stuffed shrimp? That's a squid pro quo. Pardon the pun. Sorry. You know, think about it for a minute. But a quid pro quo means I do something and you do something of equal value in return. So if I spend, you know, 10, 15 minutes praying, then God, you ought to give me what I need. Again, those are all pretty common thoughts when it comes to prayer. Nothing really unusual there. And in each one of them, there probably is somewhat of a, a grain of truth. But the question really isn't, you know, what do, what do folks out there somewhere, that group called culture or society, you know, what, what do they think about prayer? The real question is, how is prayer a part of my life? So we want to personalize it this morning. We want everybody to be thinking, what does prayer mean to me? You know, we might be chuckling a little bit and going, well, yeah, that actually, I try everything else and then when it doesn't work, I, you know, then I go to prayer. Is, is that the best way for us to think if we're disciples of Jesus this morning? Paul uh, jumps into this prayer. And it's, like I said, it's the first of several. We'll come back to prayer probably three, at least three more times before the, the letter to the Ephesians is up. But this prayer is very specific about what he hopes and desires for his friends in Ephesus. So we want to see Paul's prayer as maybe a bit of an example that could allow us to construct lives of prayer that would be beneficial and supportive for the folks around us, whether it's our immediate family or our Green Tree spiritual family or Kirkwood, St. Louis and, and our surrounding region. So with that in mind, Ephesians chapter 1, 
verses 15 through 23. Hear the word of God. Paul writes, For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation and the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened so that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ. There's that, that, that phrase again we're going to see over and over in Ephesians. That he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. By the way, that's the first time there's a period. <laughs> that's a long sentence. Paul got really excited when he's thinking about prayer. And he put all things under his feet. That is, God the Father put all things under Jesus' feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word to him alone be glory. We're going to talk about prayer. Let's spend a minute in prayer. Father, probably every person in this room at one moment or another has offered up a prayer. It might have been a prayer of desperation. It might have been a, a prayer of thanks. It might have been a prayer of relief. Uh, could have even perhaps been a, a, a prayer that was surrounded by hopelessness and anxiety. Father, we talk quite a bit about prayer, but how does it apply to our lives? And does it really make any difference? Does prayer actually accomplish anything? So, Father, as we hit these moments in uh, Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, when we uh, come face to face with his understanding of prayer uh, and inspired by the Spirit, what he passed on to us, we pray that you would teach us uh, to be people of prayer, that you would show us the reality of what prayer uh, is and, and does in our lives. Father, I ask that you would uh, open our hearts and our minds to this passage this morning. Uh, what I think about prayer or how I practice prayer is, is not what's important here. What is important is your eternal truth. That abides forever. And so we pray that that would be uh, what you teach us this morning. Father, forgive my sin. Please don't let me stand in the way of your teaching us today. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. So I believe this passage says two fundamental things. The first is this, that praying for one another is important. Paul jumps in and he says, I'm, I'm thinking about you guys, I'm praying for you. And he emphasizes prayer and that's pretty easy to see. But the second part is where we want to really kind of dig in and spend some time this morning. That is in the notion that how we pray for each other is crucial. Uh, there's nothing wrong with praying, you know, if, if I'm not feeling well, if somebody prays that I would feel better, or if I have a friend who is sick or, or someone who's struggling with the loss of a job or that sort of, there's nothing wrong. In fact, we should pray for those things. But that's not where Paul starts. Paul starts at a more fundamental level, and he, and he starts with the notion uh, of the needs that we have to be spiritually mature in Christ. And then he will build on that. So I was thinking about the prayer needs at Green Tree Community Church this morning. And I'm going to really try to restrict my comments to our spiritual family. That we should be praying for folks all over the world. But if this is our home, if this is, you know, our spiritual family, we're members or regular attenders of Green Tree, we definitely ought to be praying for one another. 
I don't think there's any question about that. So I just literally in about five or six minutes made a very casual list of all the things that I could think of just off the top of my head that need prayer at Green Tree. And they're uh, in this list, and I, I see you staring at it, maybe looking for your particular ministry or something that applies to you. Uh, every, every group has done the same thing this morning. Uh, but there are things that are outside of ministry. So just marriages and families and, and, and parenting and that sort of thing. But there are also things that are specific to Green Tree. And trust me when I tell you, it was not hard for me to come up with this list. And there's nothing that's on this list that's fabricated. There isn't anything on there that I just kind of made it up because I wanted the screen to be really crowded. It took me about five or six minutes to come up with that list. By the way, if you want that list, send me an email and I'll send it to you. You can be praying for all these things at Green Tree. Clearly, (laughs) we need prayer. As a people of God, if this represents, you know, a, a relatively quick blush at, at, at our need for prayer, we definitely need to be a praying people. So how we pray for one another is, is absolutely as crucial as the fact that we should be praying for one another. Paul says two things, I think, fundamentally in this passage. He talks about thankfulness and how that shapes our prayer. And then he talks about godly wisdom and how that shapes our prayer. So I want to look at those two uh, thoughts this morning. The first is this notion of what Paul uh, identifies as a consistent thankfulness. Look at verse 16. Very simple statement, but there's a lot here. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayer. So that what's understood there is I don't cease to give thanks to you, to God. I thank God for you. So Paul isn't talking about a general idea of thankfulness. He's saying, when I remember you in my prayers, I thank God for you. Clearly, there is a deep friendship here. Clearly, there, there is a, a desire and a longing relationally for Paul and the Ephesians and, and, and vice versa. And so Paul says several things about his attitude towards them. The first thing he says is that my prayer is never ceasing. Now, I don't want you to lose heart because if, if I have to kind of hold the bar up for Tom Ricks's prayer life, never ceasing, I'm way below that. So this isn't a passage that's intended to discourage us, but to call us to a deeper faith and a growing prayer life. But Paul says, I do not cease to give thanks. The notion here is that there's a disciplined approach, that, that, that Paul's habit is to be intentional about his prayer life. And, and to actually see that prayer life growing. So that's the first question I could ask myself is, do I have a habit of prayer? Do, do I have within my life, in the ebb and flow of every day of my life, an intentional, growing desire to spend time with my Heavenly Father through the Lord Jesus Christ in prayer? Probably for, for most of us, we would say it, it's not what it should be. I'd like it to be more. There may be some of us who are wonderful in our prayer lives, and we feel confident about that this morning. Thank you for being a witness to the rest of us. But for the rest of us, we probably need to begin or, or maybe to re-look at uh, our prayer lives and see where there's room to grow. I was listening to, a, uh, to an interview a couple of years ago with one of the best goal scorers in the NHL. I know it's shocking that I'm going to have a hockey illustration for you this morning. We're in blue and white to kick off the blue season. I hope you notice that as well. I would have wore red and white, but when you give up 17 runs, it's tough to wear red and white. But anyway, uh, that, was a, that was, I love my Cardinals. I am very sad about my Cardinals. But I was, listen to this interview. And they were asking this, this prolific goal scorer, what do you do when you're on vacation? How does your schedule change when you're not working real hard at it? And he said, well, the first thing that I can tell you is I only shoot 600 pucks a day. (laughs) I only take 600. I, I taper way back, and I only shoot 600 pucks a day. No wonder he's good at it. 
He, he has a disciplined approach so that even on vacation, he's still looking for opportunity to grow and to get better. Do I, do I approach my desire for prayer that I would hope that it would begin to be something that's along the lines of never ceasing? Well, let's not think that we can start at zero and get to, you know, 100 miles an hour overnight. What kind of plan could we put in place for our lives? I want to do a little application here for a second. What kind of plan could we develop if we need to really grow in this area and it isn't something that we're, that we're really, you know, knee-deep in already? So I want to give you just a couple thoughts for application. The first is this. I would want to make sure that if I'm going to try to create a habit, that my first, uh, my first step is that it, I come up with something that is actionable. Uh, and I thank my buddy Joe Brehop for this word because it helps me a lot. Actionable means I could actually get it done. So if I said, you know, I spend about three minutes a day in prayer and starting this week, I'm going to spend five hours a day in prayer and I'm never going to miss a day the rest of my life, that probably isn't actionable. I probably won't pull that off. And probably by about the third day, I will be totally defeated and I will, I will just stop. So wherever you are today in your prayer life, Pick, pick a, a place where you can move it down the field a little bit. Pick a goal that is doable. So if you say, you know what, I, I pray on Sunday. Then when I come back next Sunday, I pray. This week, say, you know what, halfway between Sunday is Wednesday. I'm going to spend 15 minutes praying on Wednesday. Start there and go from there. But create a plan. So I'm not saying don't think about it. We've got to think about it. But make sure that you look at it and, and you say with pretty much confidence, I could do that. that. That's a good first step. Secondly, I would try to create reminders in my life so that I didn't forget about the plan that I had put in place. So I have a friend a few years ago said, my cell phone goes off at three minutes before the hour on every hour throughout the day. And when it goes off, whatever I'm doing, I just stop for literally three minutes or less and I pray. If I'm on a business call and I hang up the phone, I'll be thinking about that person and they might be married and have a family and, and I'll pray for them. I might not know what's going on in their life, but I'm gonna pray for them. Or maybe something happened at the office and a friend of mine and I'm gonna pray for them. But I have a reminder. Every hour, I'm reminded to take a couple of minutes and go to the Lord in prayer. So whatever reminders are helpful for you or for me, maybe a post-it note on, on your mirror in the morning. Maybe you pick your favorite snack food and you put a little note on that that says, do not eat me until you've spent two minutes praying for a friend or a family member, wherever you're going to see it. Right? We're forgetful folks. So it needs to be actionable. It needs to be you know, something I can actually do. Uh, put some reminders out and then create a list. So you already, if you shared this morning, you already have a list. Now it might just be a list of one, but that's, that's a starting point. So I've been in each service and I, I have to leave after the service to go straight back to my office and write down everything I heard this morning. Because I have like five new things on my list. And uh, 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 Tom, no, I'm so thankful that the person you asked me to pray for is named Katie, because the first person I talked to this morning, the name was Katie. So I've got two that I can remember because my daughter's named Katie. But I got to write them down. I got to create a list so I don't forget. If I do some of these simple things, then I begin to spend some time in prayer and it begins to become a bit of a habit. Paul says, never ceasing. But he also says, I'm never ceasing for my thankfulness. In other words, his prayer is focused on other disciples and wanting what's best for them. It's not saying we shouldn't pray for ourselves. We absolutely should pray for ourselves. But our prayer should always include a thankfulness for other disciples. Why? Because it reminds us that God's put those people in our lives for a very specific reason. And we might not be very happy with them at this particular moment. We might be in an argument with them and praying for them and praying that God would bless them maybe brings us back to center and says, oh, maybe I'm being a little bit unreasonable here. I want to pray that this person is cared for. 
Praying for others, praying God's blessing for others actually protects me from the alternative, which is what? Gossip, anger, slander, hatred, bitterness. But if I'm praying for God's blessing for a person, it's pretty tough to stay angry with them. I had a friend a few years ago that was explaining a situation to me in a relationship that, that he was in. He said, I, this person just drives me crazy. I just, uh, you know, I almost want to go punch him in the nose. What do you think I ought to do? And I said, well, if half of what you told me is true, I think you ought to go punch him in the nose. But what I think doesn't really matter. What does God say? So we went to the gospel and Jesus says, you know, those people that you don't like, you know, those people that, that have hatred towards you, or you're, you're not getting along them. Here's what you do. You pray for them. You pray for them. Paul says that in Romans, you pray for those that you consider your enemies. So I said to my friend that the best advice I can give you is is every time that name pops into your head, pray for that person. But three weeks later, and I, we dropped it. We moved on. We didn't even talk about it. Three weeks later, he came up to me. He goes, I got to stop this prayer stuff. I'm like, why? He goes, I like this guy now. I can't even be mad at him anymore because I can't pray a blessing over him and still be angry. And, and I actually, somebody said something about him the other day and I actually defended him. I got to stop this prayer. What was he saying? He was saying, God's changed my heart through making prayers of thankfulness. It protected his own heart. But then Paul says, what? Remembering you in my prayers. He's thoughtful. He's intentional. He, he's thinking about maybe their faces or their names or their circumstances and, ask, circumstances and asking the question, what do they need? And, and friends, I will tell you this, and this is why I want to just kind of keep it centered on Green Tree this morning is because if we would actually do this, if we would actually say, you know what, we, we want to be intentional in our prayer life. One of the byproducts of the study in Ephesians is that I'm going to begin to pray more intentionally. I'm going to come up with an actionable plan. I'm going to, to, to give myself reminders. I'm going to begin to do this. And, and we prayed for one another. I believe there would be a unity and, and a revival to go, oh, did, did a Presbyterian just say revival? Oh, that's, I don't know about that. That, that God's spirit would bring upon us. And and that would be protecting of us, but that would also send us out into the world as a witness for for God's glory and for his kingdom. Paul's thankfulness is absolutely crucial to be part of our prayer life. But then Paul also says, secondly, that there's a wisdom for which he is praying. What what kind of wisdom is that? I'm praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. So when you think about wisdom, which is knowledge applied, you learn something and then you apply it to your life. You don't cross a busy road without looking two ways. That's, you know, the knowledge is knowing that cars are coming. The wisdom is applied where you make sure the pathway's clear before you cross the road. Wisdom is knowledge applied. Paul says, I want you to have godly wisdom. That's revealed to you. That's all revelation means that it's revealed. It's made known to you. You've seen it. You understand it. And it's based on the knowledge of God. So you would say, I need to pray on a daily basis because God has revealed to me the fact that he answers prayer and he he calls me to pray for those around me. And I know that because I've heard it in his word. That's what Paul is praying, that there would be an intellectual godliness, that we would actually think like disciples of Jesus should think. Brenda's story at the beginning of of the service was about thinking as a disciple. She was in a situation at work that kind of felt like it was getting away from her a little bit. And so she, she came back and she prayed. She asked a couple of friends to pray for her that she would have this wisdom and this knowledge and this, this revelation. We're tempted to think primarily of ourselves in different types of terms, 
I would think of myself as a, as a liberal or as a conservative or as a pro-choicer or a pro-lifer or, or as a Cardinals fan or a Cubs fan. You know, we tend to think of ourselves in, in those kinds of, of, of identifiable words. But, but what if we were a people that were defined as a people of wisdom and revelation and knowledge based on prayer? What if we were no longer defining ourselves as consumers, but we were defining ourselves as servants of the people that God brings across our paths. That kind of miracle can actually happen because I witnessed it firsthand yesterday. Our, some of you have been praying for our refrigerator and you're not very good prayer, prayers because my refrigerator died and I had to get a new refrigerator. And so went out and did all the shopping and compared and bought a refrigerator. And so they said, it's going to be there Saturday and can you be home between two and three 30? said, absolutely. I'll, I'll get everything done and I'll, and I'll be there. And they always give you that window right between here and here. And what you know is they're not coming till right there. But I was dutifully home at 2 o'clock and 2.30 came and they didn't show up and 3 o'clock came and they didn't show up and 3.30 came and they didn't show up and 4 o'clock came and they didn't show up. And I'm starting to get just a little agitated, right? Now, that's a nice way of saying how I was really feeling. I was, I was angry. How, I paid $800. How dare they? I'm just, you know, yelling at the TV while I'm watching the football game. Cindy wasn't home. And, uh, and the guy calls. He says, hey, Mr. Ricks, this is so-so. Yep. You know, you know, where are you? Right. We're broke down on the side of the road out on Highway 40, and we've been here for an hour, and the tow truck's not here, and they're supposed to be bringing us another truck, and we'll put your stuff on it. Is it okay? We'll get there as quick as we can. Is that okay? And this is where the miracle happened, because Tom Ricks would have said, well, it's about time you called me. Why didn't you call several? I would have just gone off on the guy. But the spirit of wisdom changed my mind about that, and I said, I'm so sorry you're stuck on the road. That's a miracle. That doesn't happen in my life. And you can, you can chuckle about it, but I'm being honest with you. That does not happen in my life, right? I can get angry like that, and I can bite your head off, and I feel justified in doing so. But the Spirit of God said, why don't you think as a disciple of Jesus? And, oh, don't forget what you're preaching about tomorrow. That, that probably helped a little bit as well. And, and then he, he, there was silence on the other end of the phone. I'm like, are you still there? Is everything okay? Did you get hit by a truck while I was talking to you? He goes, no, nobody ever asks us how we're doing. Now, the end of that story isn't the guy who's going to become a Christian and be the next Billy Graham. Okay. I mean, it might, it might, but that isn't the point. The point is that I, I actually got to think like a disciple for a second. And maybe that's because one of you was praying for me about that time yesterday, unbeknownst to you what was going on. And because of that, maybe a person felt just a little bit better than, than they would have. That's enough. But Paul is praying that we think like disciples of Jesus. But he's also praying that we feel like disciples of Jesus. Look at, at verse 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? The eyes of your heart, that, that's metaphorical language for what? For our emotions, for the spiritual side of our life. If wisdom and revelation and knowledge are our are our intellect, then our heart is our emotion. Do I have emotional stability in the storms of my life? Is there a maturity of faith because folks have prayed for me and my, my, my soul is grounded on the grace and the mercy of God? What Paul is after here is that we we face uncertainty, we face difficulty, we have a variety of different circumstances that come our way, some wonderful some incredible blessings and others that are, that are severe trials and temptations, but we face all of those with enlightened hearts, 
with an emotional stability that reflects the emotional stability of Jesus. Look at Jesus in the Gospels right before he went to the cross. He was sweating drops of blood. He was beside himself. Have you ever had like a week that's been terrible and you're just like, I'm a mess. I, I, I can't even think straight. Well, multiply that times 10,000. And yet here's Jesus grounded upon his relationship with his father through prayer. And what does he say? Not your will be done, but my will be done. And he got up and he said to his disciples, okay, boys, come on, it's time to go. That happened through prayer. God gave his son the emotional peace to go to the cross for you and for me. And Paul's saying, I want the same for my fellow Christians. And so he grounds this prayer on two things. The first thing he says, I want you to know the hope to which you have been called. The hope is the hope of our salvation. And what does hope do? Hope steadies us. Hope gives us a, a little bit sure footing when the circumstances around us feel somewhat off kilter, uh, feel maybe uneasy, but we have a hope. We know what Christ has provided for us and it begins to steady our souls. But not only does he pray for a hope, but that we would be aware of the riches of the glorious inheritance that we have in Christ. What Jesus said is I've written the end of the story and I'm gonna reveal it to you Christians. Those of you that are my disciples, I'm going to tell you the end of the story. You're going to get home and be with me forever. And he says to his disciples the night before he goes to the cross, I'm going away to get the house ready. And as soon as it's ready, I'm coming get back and getting everybody so that we can all be together for eternity. That is the inheritance that we stand to gain in Christ. And Paul says, that informs my prayer life for you because I, that gives you emotional stability. That gives you an, an assurance that nothing in all creation is going to be able to separate you from your inheritance that you have in Christ. And so we pray, he prays for wisdom, for understanding, he prays for godly intellect, he prays for godly emotions. And then he says, and here's how it's all going to happen. Here's why I pray this prayer. And here's why I'm confident that God's going to do those things. He says this in verses 19 and 20. And I want you to know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe. According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. Paul is speaking about God's power applied, and he says God's power is applied towards us, towards those who believe. So if you're here this morning, you're saying, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, God's power is applied to your life. Now, remember that God's power is applied at his discretion, not at yours. So I might say, Lord, I really need your power and strength to, to go over here and, and, and to do this or, or, or to accomplish X. And the father might say, you know what, son, for, for once you're thinking like me, let's go. That's exactly right. And God may give me the power and may answer my prayer that way. But he might say, as he more often does, is, son, you're not quite thinking quite right. I'm not going to take you there with my power. I'm actually going to take you here with my power. And it's going to look different than what you asked for. But you can trust that my power's at work for you as a believer in the Lord Jesus. Well, that's incredibly encouraging. Does he have enough? I mean, I had a lot of stuff in my life. Does God really have enough power to take care of me? Does God really have enough power to answer your prayers? I remember the first time in college when I went rappelling and I actually stepped off a cliff backwards. And it, that's not me, but it, it, it looked something like that, except if, you could, if there was like a videotape, the person would be screaming at the top of their lungs. How many people have ever rappelled? All right, the most unnatural thing in the world, world to step backwards and lean backwards off a cliff. As you're beginning to do that, you have a thought that goes through your mind. And the thought that goes through your mind is, I really hope this rope is strong. 
Well, before I actually stepped off, I asked the guy who was hooking me in the harness, how strong is this rope? And he said, I'm sure it'll, I'm sure it'll take care of you. I'm like, no, seriously, how strong is this rope? He said, well, it's good up to about three automobiles, which is about 10,000 pounds. And at the time I weighed about 160 pounds. I'm like, I'm good. Right? And the follow-up question was, you know how to tie the knot, right? So the knot's not going to come undone. No, but the rope was strong enough. that There's no way to measure how strong God's rope is. God's rope can, you know, let's say you weigh 160 pounds, God's rope can hold 50 aircraft carriers. I mean, you just, it doesn't even compute how much strength God has to apply to your circumstances and my circumstances. And that's why Paul says, I want you to know this power. I want you to understand it's there. But also notice how this power is distributed. How does he explain this power? This is the power that did what? This is the power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. Now, is God just showing off? Look, I can raise Jesus from the dead and I can bring him up to heaven, put him in my right hand. Can you do that? You know, is God just kind of showing off his power? No. What does that language speak to? That language speaks to the only way you get redemption and I get redemption. Jesus went to the cross to die for our sins. But if God did not raise him back to life, then we are lost. Paul says that very clearly, 1 Corinthians 15. If our hope for Christ is in this life alone, if Christ is not raised from the dead, we above all people walking on the planet are to be pities as as complete and utter fools. But God did rise Jesus from the dead. This is the language of grace. This is the language of salvation. This is the language of assurance. And Paul wants us to know it's that same power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the heavenlies is the power that's available to us. And God uses his power not to harm but to love and to be merciful. And so he prays for that strength to be the faith, the, the, the strength that abides in us as we face the circumstances of our life. So that's how we pray. We pray at all times and we pray with thankfulness. We pray for God's wisdom, for his intellectual and emotion, for our intellectual and emotional faith, always trusting in his power. So what we're going to do to end the service, we're going to end the service uh, as we uh, have done throughout it. We're going to spend a couple of minutes in prayer. And uh, Pastor Daryl's going to come and he's going to lead us through a directed prayer, which means he's going to share a few things and then he's going to instruct us and, and we're going to pray uh, along with him. We're going to do that for about four minutes or so and then we'll conclude our service. So Pastor Daryl, come on over. Do you have a mic or do I need to get you handheld right here? What we're going to do is we're going to walk through uh, the passage and uh, give thanks and ask for wisdom and reflect on the glory of God and the power that he um, has shown in our redemption. I want you to uh, think about somebody, somebody in your life, maybe someone sitting right next to you, but maybe not, um, and uh, have that person in, their, in your mind and be thinking about them as we enter into this time of prayer. It's going to be a little different. We're going to start praying, and then I'm going to nudge you along at certain points to be thinking about certain things and praying certain things. Can, can you do that? Yeah? Okay. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for gathering us here this morning and for this message on prayer. And we pray, Lord, you would teach us how to pray, uh, how to come to you, but also how to pray for others. And so, Lord, we have someone in mind. Um, bring to our thoughts their needs, their need for you, maybe your power, maybe your wisdom, maybe your mercy. 
and we give them to you now. Lord, when we, we take these next few moments to give thanks for them. Father, as you had Paul pray for us that we might have wisdom, uh, knowledge of your grace, we pray the same for this person. If they are distressed or confused, we ask that you would give them wisdom and enlightenment to the meaning of your word. Lord, Paul also prayed that our eyes, the eyes of our hearts would be enlightened to the riches of your gospel. And so we ask the same for this person. First, Lord, we ask that they might see the great riches of our inheritance in Jesus, that you gave yourself to us. Lord, with that inheritance was power, power to save, a power to redeem, a power that raised Jesus from the dead. It's a power that does the impossible. Father, would this person know that power in their lives? Lord, you were seated at the right hand of the Father in the most glorious place in the cosmos. And God, the Father, put all things under your feet. Might we have a sense of that authority and the honor that you have and that you, you, that you use on our behalf with this person that we are praying for also know that and rest in your great governance of the world. And Lord, beyond simply being the ruler of the universe of all things, you also care about us. And you know us by name. You're the head over all things of the church, in the church, even this church, our lives, our specific circumstances. Uh, would you remind the people that we are praying for that, that you know them by name? Uh, that they are not forgotten, that they are not abandoned. Father, would they know the power of your presence? Lord, all of these riches that we have in the gospel.
uh, your power, your wisdom, your glory. They are put in the service of, uh, of this person for their well-being. Remind us of that, that we might come alongside that. As we heard in the story mentioned, as we pray for people, often we begin to love people. Would you work the same in our hearts? And Father, remind us that the same love you have for the person for which we pray, you have for us. And would that inspire us to a great confidence um, to see what you will do in their lives, in our lives, in our church. And Father, we give it all back to you now. Uh, do it for your glory, for our good, but for your glory. We pray it in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.